Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co host here, Dave Popowich. Happy New Year, buddy. Happy New Year, my friend. This is a good one. This is a good one. I like this, this show we're going to have today. Um, we've, uh, we're still in the middle of this next wave of the pandemic, and we're hearing more and more issues in long-term care facilities. People who are aging, we're still hearing more issues, uh, and outbreaks are happening. These are concerns that people have. We're going to address some of the biggest concerns yep. in this province, and there is a solution. There is a solution to this problem of long-term care in this province and across this country. And we're going to bring a, a special guest to talk about that. So I'm really excited to know about that solution today. Awesome. Um, I, you know, this, this notion of aging, quality of life and everything else is, um, is such an important topic. We've been talking about this for 10, 11, 12 years now, I guess it is, <laughs> right? It just, it just keeps marching on. Um, but, you know, we, we, we got to talk about, um, we, there's a number of aspects that we have to talk about because uh, markets influence um, uh, emotional state. They influence capacity, financial capacity to spend, to support healthcare, to do all of these different things, right? And so, you know, we kick off a new year um, with a continuation, I think, of what we were st starting to see at the end of last year, right? So, although we've rolled the calendar over, yep. Financially, Faisal, I don't think we've rolled the narrative over. Correct. The narrative's the same. Correct. Right. We're in a very interesting environment. I think it's going to be. We've got two big issues that we've got to face, the variant itself, Omicron, and how is it going to impact global markets. And, of course, now we've got the U.S. Fed, which I think is a real issue, and the rising interest rates and inflation. All of those things, of course, we knew about before Christmas. But it's interesting to see the market trading in the early part of the new year, right? There's, I was characterizing it at the end of last week um, as confusing. The market's confused. It's, it's trying to – its price action tells me – People aren't quite sure. They're repositioning. They're trying to figure out what's going on. There's so much happening in the first week. It was fascinating. Pre-markets told us different stories than what happened during the day and how the close ended. A fascinating amount of, of, of action in the market. I'm calling this week uh, in the markets, they're guesstimating. <laughs> they're guesstimating what's going to happen. We have seen the 10-year U.S. Treasury trade in, in bond world a significant move. Oh, huge significant move. Now, what people have to understand when it comes to this 10-year treasury, why it's so important, is that's what's determined as the risk-free rate. Mm -hmm. The U.S. government bond for 10 years is considered a risk-free rate. If you can get 1.75% risk-free, everything else measured against that as risky. Mm -hmm. If you want 2%, add on risk. Right. If you want 3%, 5%, 10%, you're adding on more and more risk. And how much risk are you willing to take when you have these headwinds, such as inflation, such as this new variant, and another one coming out of South France and, and Western Africa that, we're, that people aren't really focusing on. That's coming out down the pike. So there's another wave possibly coming. So you've got the variant, you've got, you've got inflation, you've got the Fed, if they make a mistake, now we got rising interest rates happening sooner, most likely in March, according to the bond market. Now this is risk. So do I take the 1.75% for 10 years or do I take on more risk? And now people are saying, I don't know, so let's guesstimate what we're gonna do. 
And here comes the shift. Absolutely. And that's, that's the price action that you see every day. Right? We haven't heard too much panic yet. And it's coming. Hmm. I think people are going to panic. I think institutions, when we talk to them, they're pretty calm. They're letting this play out. We talk to retail, individual investors. The, the panic button hasn't been pressed yet, but they're getting closer and closer to pressing that button. And I can see that with the, with the volatility index. Yes. I can see that with what they're buying, where the volume of retail investors are going to. I can see that people are seeing that cash is the best option right now for many retail investors. When you have inflation at 4% plus, you lose money right away by keeping in cash. Right. You don't even have a chance. Guaranteed loss, yeah. It's a guaranteed loss. So how do you beat inflation? How do you beat the, the growth numbers that you need in your plan for your retirement? Those are the issues that are coming up and people are gonna press that panic button soon. Well, you know, you, you made a really interesting point there because a number of conversations I've had just prior to Christmas and at the start of the new year has to focus on inflation. So there was a, a, a research report that came out just, uh, you know, just this past week talking about 87% of Canadians are focused on inflation. They're more concerned about inflation than rising interest rates. That's interesting of itself. But in talking to people, actual clients, um, you know, they're, they're trying to balance off. If I got to protect against inflation, inflation is going to be running at 4 to 6%. You know, not my numbers, but this particular conversation, how do I do that? And am I prepared to take on more risk to try to do that? Or am I prepared to go to zero risk and guarantee a loss? Where do I fit in that spectrum? Okay. And it speaks not to just the short term, but also the long term, right? So people, the, the panic button you talk about, what, what I fear is that people are going to get so myopic and narrow focused that they are going to make bad decisions, abandon strategies that are good. Okay, that are appropriate for them, and they're going to get themselves into a problem. It's emotive reaction. <clears throat> yeah. And that emotive reaction, when you look at 4 to 6% inflation rate, using the numbers that you, you've been quoted by clients who are concerned about this, um, is it 4 to 6% forever? Right. And normally you get a no, it's not going to be forever. Well, for how long? Right. Let's start talking time frame here. Right. How long do you think... The, the central banks are going to let inflation roll 4 to 6%. Or they're going to calm it down by raising infl inflation uh, interest rates, and therefore we're going to go into a recession. Yeah. Well, that's a heavy movement if we're going to go into recession. From a high inflation rate to raising interest rates to, in to recession, what other indicators will tell you that we're going to go into a recession? Right. Yeah. What else has to happen? Let's talk about manufacturing. Higher. Let's talk about exports in Canada. Higher. Let's talk about spending of the consumer. Look at the U.S. consumer. Yeah. Do not underestimate them. And look what's happening in the backdrop behind that. When you have raise, uh, rising prices for, for labor, they're going to spend more money. Yeah. This you is know, an interesting balance that people are looking at so narrow, like you mentioned, about inflation, which I think is a problem. Yeah. I think there's a lot of it's going to be sticky, it's going to stay on, and a lot of it's going to fall off. But as we continue this short-term viewpoint, you make long-term decisions based on today. No different than people <clears throat> made long-term decisions by renovating their entire house to work from home, only to realize that they might have to go back to the office pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, or sell their house and move or do all of those things. You yeah. know, the timing <clears throat> and the sequence of events is also important, Yeah. right? And I think people have to, again, this speaks to strategy versus that short-term thinking, right? Um, the choppiness in the markets can be created by any number of things, but it can also be created by the timing of when things happen. So, for instance, if you're looking at 
economics and you think that the economy generally is reopening and things are good and businesses will continue to earn and those earnings will go up, okay? But we don't get earnings reports for another six to eight weeks. But now inflation starts to spike and we're fearing interest rate increases. So if, if the fear of interest rate increases comes before the earnings increases, that has a different market reaction than if earnings increases came before the fear of interest rate increases, right? So the short term <clears throat> can influence that trading action. But on balance, what happens this year, next year, and over that longer term strategy becomes critically important to how you position and don't get caught on the wrong side of something. And there's, there's two superpowers to handle through all of this that we've been talking about time and time again. And those two superpowers, when you go through these, this type of a market condition, is structure and discipline. Yep. This idea of aging isn't anything new, right? You're perpetually young. I continue to age. <laughs> oh, you're yeah, so, so nice. So, so, so I feel this, but it is this relentless march of age takes place. And we know as people age that, um, that things change, right? Things change in health and perspective and so on and so forth. And so I think it's incumbent upon us to, uh, to continue to focus on, particularly in this COVID environment, uh, around some of the issues with respect to aging, ageism, isolationism, all of those things to make sure that people are having the experience and you know, the quality of life that they want. You know, if I look back, let's say five, 10 years ago, we would talk to our clients. Um, there was pretty much a split between them. Half would probably say, I want to age at home. Half would say, put me into a long-term care facility. As long as it has the type of care that I want, right. I'm good. Yeah. Um, fast forward to the, the pandemic and all the issues that have come out of it. Uh, we're hardly hearing long-term care facilities now as right. a choice uh, for our clients, which is interesting, um, but also understanding sure, that, that you know this is what's changed. And so let's talk about all the issues that come with, when you're aging. One of, of course, is ageism. Yep. And, and this city that we live in in Calgary is young comparisons to other cities across this country, um, demographically speaking. Yep. Yep. So we may not have um, the insight of what's happening here versus other cities across the country when it comes to ageism, when it comes to isolation, yep. when it comes to uh, the overall aging issue. Uh, and so let's talk about that and see what, what's happening here in town. All right. We've got uh, uh, James Stotch, who is a director, Institute for Community Prosperity at Mount Royal University, joining us. James, welcome to the show. Hi, Dave. Hi, Faisal. Um, there's, you, you heard the setup. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about about aging. I mean, clearly it is something that we hope everybody faces. If you don't face it, you know, the no outcome was not good. So we all hope to face this, this, this uh, issue of aging, but maybe you can give us your general take on what some of the, you know, the key issues people will face and experience as they do age. Yeah, one of our students actually has a really wonderful turn of phrase. She said, you know, looking at ageism, we're actually, we're all going to experience, as you say, growing older, um, or we'll die trying. And in a sense, you know, ageism is one of those last frontiers. Um, you know, we, we don't recognize it in the same way we do with sexism or, or uh, racism. Um, and, and so we're just starting to kind of become more aware of it. But it's that notion of, as, as one of our students puts it, you're stigmatizing your future self um, because we're, we're all going to experience it at some point. And so is there a way we can kind of get on top of it, recognize it early on, um, not just in its kind of like, overt day-to-day -day forms, but really in more of an institutional or systemic setting. Yeah, I think, I, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, let's, so, so tell us, 
there's probably some unique aspects of aging in today's environment, right? Given the pandemic and whatnot. But maybe you can separate a little bit about what people should be thinking about. So if we're 65 today or 50 today, what should we thinking about as we get into 75 and 85 generally? And then if there's anything that you and uh, you know your group academically are focused on as a result of the last two years of the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, aging is a is what they call a global megatrend. Um, it's happening everywhere. Um, you know, Alberta, as you point out, is a bit younger than the rest of Canada. You know, we it's only about 12% of our population right now in Alberta, um, over 65, um, compared with, say, Atlantic Canada, which is more like 20%. Uh, what the, Alberta has a few interesting features. One of them is that we have... Um, one of the highest growing rates of senior citizens relative to the rest of the country. And we also have, along with Quebec, the highest number of seniors, about 40%, um, who are in long-term care or assisted living uh, facilities. Um, so we, we tend to have fewer seniors as a percentage in Alberta living independently, living on their own. They're much more likely to be in collective or institutional settings. Um, you know, things uh, we, we see uh, a, a real desire uh, among seniors to keep working beyond the age of 65, um, you know, and, and an ability, an increased ability. Um, you know, 65 is the new 55, right, in many ways. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I think we'll see um, more and more of a push for um, uh, recognition that, that retirement age really, you know, 65 is probably not realistic for most people. Um, that said, it's actually really tough, you know, even once you hit sort of 50, 55, um, it gets much tougher in the workplace. There's a lot of embedded ageism in the workplace that, that researchers are now noticing as, as young as people in their early to mid 40s are now being uh, shut out from, from positions that they normally would have just sort of naturally moved into. And um, that's creating a, you know, long periods of unemployment late in life um, that's that's pretty disruptive for people also you know housing affordability uh, we see a lot of seniors who are carrying mortgages uh, long amortization periods well past retirement age um, and becoming over leveraged in that way so sometimes it's not a choice to work um, they're, they're really uh, forced to work and the other thing is you know our retirement savings although we have a really great um, uh, income support system with uh, old age security and Canada pension um, and there will be some marginal increases to to those um, over the next year or so um, what we don't see is um, evenly uh, a, a really good uh, retirement savings um, behavior among Canadians it's quite uneven so some are saving lots for retirement and well prepared uh, but many are not at all um, and so that that unevenness is is uh, is something that should concern us all. Once you hit about seventy five years of age, um, you you really start to see a lot of physical deterioration. That's mm -hmm. where the aging process really sets in in a big way for most people. Um, so you know the, the situation does change sort of beyond that kind of seventy five age group. But we're also seeing this dynamic where those born in this century are are more likely to have a um, life expectancy that's above 100, which is a huge shift. Because uh, when you think of it right now, I mean, the oldest person on Earth is something like 119 years old. Uh, but we're, uh, we see a, a constantly increasing um, average uh, life expectancy 
it's about a third of a year um, uh, every year. Mm-hmm. So um, doing the math, you know, um, if you're born in the year 2000, um, you're, you're much more likely to live beyond 100 than is the case with, say, boomers or Gen X. James, when we look back at the workforce and many, um, many people decided to want to go back to work or want to continue their careers when, in, a, in a province like Alberta has boom and bust to get back into the workforce, like you said, is very challenging uh, when it comes to the word ageism. But what are they really experiencing when it comes to the reasons why they're not being hired? Is it because purely because of age or is it because of cost for a person with higher or more experience? Uh, for an employer, it would be might cheaper to be to go to a to a younger employee versus uh, a, a, a more experienced employee. Like, what are some of the factors or issues that let's go on the employer side that they're saying we're going to pick somebody else and it, we'll use the word ageism just for a blanket? But what's the real reasons behind that word ageism? Yeah, I mean, I, this is not something that that I looked into in in great depth. So with that qualifier. Um, we do find that, um, yeah, I mean, it's just more expensive to, to uh, you know, typically somebody in their 40s and 50s um, typically commands uh, a higher level of remuneration that is is uh, difficult for employers to carry, especially if that person isn't obviously demonstrating uh, uh, proficiency in some of the latest skills, right? Uh, 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 continually relearning in a tech environment, for example. Um, there's also a, a fairly low level of investment in professional development and training of people in their 40s and 50s, we find, across the board. So, uh, yeah, it is, it is the case that employers are just saying, well, you know, I get more energy and enthusiasm and what I miss in experience or wisdom, um, you know, we'll, we'll find a workaround. We'll find a way and go with this 20-something person rather than hiring this person who's 45 or 55. Um, so that that is certainly a dynamic, but I, you know we're I think um, many organizations could do a better job of making the case that actually people who are aging bring a lot of assets that are maybe under recognized. Um, there's a lot of wisdom, a lot of judgment, um, a lot of experience um, that uh, that that may be under accounted for or under recognized. Um. James, I think we got to pick up the uh, sort of the research and the report that you've been doing, talking about um, long-term care facilities and caregivers. Uh, clearly, there's been a, there's been a at least a mental shift that we talked about, Faisal, in terms of how people are thinking about whether or not they want to be in a long-term care facility, okay? whether they want to age at home, and I think that's most people's preference. But maybe just talk to us a little bit about what you you're seeing and uh, the research is indicating about. Uh, you know about what are the what the current trend is the current thinking is around that yeah I mean with very few exceptions Canadians don't want to live in long-term term care it's not part of their plan it's not part of their desired future and so they end up in long-term care quite often after uh, say uh, you know a week-long uh, hospital stay acute care stay after a fall for example um, and and you know what happens typically is they're moved into long-term care uh, from that setting uh, the family's discombobulated. Um, you know, everything's kind of falling apart at once, and so a solution needs to be found quickly. This, the, the system we have now um, kind of funnels people directly into long-term care very quickly and without exploring other options adequately enough. So, um, you know, we're 
we're right now looking at, we spend something like 1.3% of our GDP on long-term care. That will rise in the next 30 years to just under 5% of GDP. It's going to be incredibly expensive to maintain the system we have. And so I know there are, you know, federal budget commitments um, uh, signaling new investments in long-term care, and that's fine. Um, you know, Canada is about 30% off the OECD average in that respect. But the, the reality is we can't afford, um, uh, given the demographic trends, given the rising senior population, given that um, the number of caregivers, informal caregivers, family members, you know, families are shrinking, so there's not enough people to take care of seniors. Um, so, you know, these trend lines are not looking good and they're going to be incredibly expensive for society. So we have to take a look around the world and look for other exemplars. Um, we need to look at age tech as part of the solution, for sure. There's some really exciting things happening there. But also, uh, countries like Denmark. Denmark is a really interesting exemplar because they spend less on seniors' care overall than Canada does, um, but they spend much more on home care and much less on long-term care uh, facilities. In fact, it, since the 1980s, they've gradually been um, lowering the number of long-term care facilities, long-term care beds, and increasing at the same time the investment in, in home care, in a universal home care. It's attached to their universal uh, public um, health care um, uh, program, so it's defined as being part of the universal health care if prescribed by a doctor. Um, home care is not like that in Canada right now. Only about 6% of Canadians have access to home care. And even the home care we have is really uneven in terms of quality. James, when you look at what's happening in Denmark, what's some of the stuff that's going on there that the provincial governments in Canada could adopt quite quickly to, to make that change away from long-term care facilities and increase home care? I agree with you. One idea I've been talking about for years, I've, we had so many ministers as well as members mm. of the medical community here on our show i've been talking about why not just instead of paying an individual like a nurse to come in if you've got family members who are going to take time away from work uh, or have to change their entire careers because of this why not get that funding going to those individuals so they're not out of they're not losing out of pocket so they're still got that, that care i think some of the best care mm -hmm. dave you're one of them that's caring for your mom mm -hmm. the care you'd give your mother is different than a care that maybe somebody like a companion would be able to give her that you would hire for so some of the some of the things that i'm talking about there's like what's happening in denmark that these provinces can adopt quite quickly yeah i mean uh the, the spectrum of care is quite broad right it's it's not just kind of feeding and toileting and things like that like that are they're a little more acute but there are things like transportation and advocacy and, and like, you know, advocating with the cable company around your, your TV bill, for example, or, or scheduling medical appointments, um, which, you know, a lot of uh, it's that mostly falls on family members uh, uh, next of kin to, to do. So they're part of the, the caregiving um, uh, milieu. But what what's important to, to think about is, well, how, how is that actually supported so that um, you know, a lot of these people are also sandwich generation. You're looking after kids and you're looking after uh, elders. And and that can be incredibly stressful. If um, the senior citizen in your family has dementia, for example, that often leads to um, uh, underdiagnosed PTSD. Um, and that can affect your employment, your workplace. Um, so there's all kinds of, there's a bunch of like um, pain points in the system that you can kind of surgically look at 
from employer awareness to um, uh, a range of supports for the uh, for the caregiver. Um, so, for example, um, Sweden, Australia provide tax benefits, um, recognized tax benefits to caregivers um, uh, through the tax code. So there is some, at least some recognition and some some uh, uh, ability to 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 compensate that partially. Um, we're we're also going to have to do a better job of accrediting. Uh, personal support workers, also called orderlies, uh, they're the professional caregivers. Uh, they're the ones who do the, the feeding and the toileting and the, and the changing beds and those kind of things, administering medicines. Those um, those positions are often, you know, minimum wage or low wage positions. Disproportionately, um, they are um, uh, uh, immigrant women of color who are in those positions. Uh, we find in our analysis that what should be a really um, a great entry into the workforce uh, that comes with, you know, with increasing experience, you 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 sort of gain a, a foothold and, and start to have some social mobility with with a role like that. We actually find the opposite is true, um, that it's an incredibly disempowering profession to get into, um, and and there's a cycle that actually uh, works against the worker in in so many ways, and that then uh, results in in elder abuse often or other forms of um, uh, deleterious effects on those in aging. We saw this with COVID, of course. Um, this was, you know, Canada stood out more than any other country on earth as having more deaths in long-term care. And a lot of that relates to our inadequacy of training, preparing, paying, and, um, and recognizing professional uh, support workers. So th there's a bunch of different solutions here uh, that we need to look at. Yeah, that, that's interesting. So we've got maybe a minute, a minute and a half here, and I know you're not going to be able to do justice to the question, but you're now the uh, the supreme ruler of Canada, and you can make, you know wave your magic wand. Given the issues that you see, you wave your magic wand, and what's the first thing to change to get us pointed in the right direction? Oh, universal home care. Uh, we need to get going on that. Um, that is absolutely critical. We need to start ramping up some kind of publicly funded universal health care program to complement and offset and eventually replace much of what we now uh, invest in long-term care. All right, there we have it. That was pretty definitive. Um, uh, James, first of all, I want to thank you for, uh, for taking some time with us. The report was in-depth. It's interesting. Uh, this is a topic, Faisal, you and I have been talking about for years, and we know it's only just begun, Yeah. right? I mean, the, the population is aging, and it, it, we are going to be over the next 10 to 20 years facing all of these problems and James has already identified the fact uh, we know about this problem it's coming right yeah. and so how frustrated have we been over these years where there's a lot of talk when does the action stop when does that magic wand happen and that first step big step be taken right yeah it, and it doesn't even have to be a magic wand Dave it can just be a <clears throat> let's start the solution conversation not just the conversation of what the problem is right yeah, I think fair. we know what the problem is fair. Now let's get into some solutions, and I think those politicians who are listening to the show, uh, those who are in the medical community, can, that could put some pressure. Also, all the all the people who are going through this, uh, like yourself with your mom, yep. myself with my father, we, we're we're voters at the end of the day. 
we have to vote on this. So why not make this one of the biggest election issues coming up in the next provincial election? I think that will be a big change. Yep. Uh, we haven't made it a big issue. You're right. Uh, it's it's a huge issue that's coming, and we're going to make it one when it's right in front of our face as right. opposed to down the road where we can fix it. So right. And it's going to be more expensive and less effective if we get there. There you go. Yeah, James, thank you very much for all your input today. My pleasure, Faisal. Dave, good to talk to you. Um <laughs> I'm chuckling because you, you wanted to go for a bathroom break and we have to do this live and you're, <laughs> and you're like, can I go? No, you can't go to the bathroom right now, Dave. Well, happy new year to you too, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> you want to take a break from the show to go to the bathroom? No, you're holding it, my friend. You're That's holding awesome. it. <laughs> oh, the show business. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, listen, I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk about um, a, a happy new year and I've had some experiences that I want to share with you, but, it, but effectively it comes down to this idea of community. You know, we, we introduced this idea really 10 years ago, but we're really, really, really trying to, to hone this idea of community now um, because there's a collective wisdom amongst people that are transitioning to or living in retirement. That's amazing. It's tremendous, right? We bring on experts to the show, but they're, the, they're not the only um, uh, receptacle of, of experience and education around what that transition looks like in living, yeah. right? And... Um, I want to talk about that because I think we're going to, we, we've really got to build this idea that there's a collective wisdom that people can draw on to improve the quality of their experience in their, their life. So one thing we started in the fourth quarter of 2021 was to actually build and create this monthly session uh, called the PKAG community. Yep. Now, this community has done some great work in sharing their experiences and their wisdom. They're there to support each other. Um, the one outcome that one of our clients told you mm -hmm. was, I know I'm not alone in this. Yeah, and I, can I speak to that one for Please. just a second? Yeah. yeah, because it was really, it was touching. This is at the beginning of, you know, in the past week, but uh, we held a, a couple of sessions prior to the break about um, family and family dynamics. And listen, everybody's got family dynamics, right? And sometimes those cycles are good, sometimes they're tough. And uh, we, held, we held a couple of sessions and I had a conversation in response to an email I received early part of the year talking about a very difficult family dynamic situation. And um, setting aside sort of the specifics of the conversation, what was really touching uh, for me was that, you know, this couple said, listen, we were really happy to participate in that. And they weren't an active participant in it, but what they felt, what they said to me is I felt comfortable enough to share this with you knowing I wasn't alone so that you could become part of the support and the, the solution that I, think, um, that I think we'll need, right? And it was a, it was a, it was a beautiful conversation um, because I think that these are the kinds of things, the family issues that we talk about, the things that go, go beyond just money, right? More than money, um, that really have an influence on, on people's experience and, and lifestyle. Yeah, and when you talk about people's experiences, there's when you're dealing with people's money and they're going through life, they're going through retirement, um, you get different experiences in different phases of your retirement. When you're in your first, call it 10 years of retirement, it's a different experience than when you're in your second 10 years or in your last 10 years of your, of your right. retirement. Um, <clears throat> we recently had a conversation with one of our clients who's um, in their 80s. Mm -hmm talking and been with us for over a decade. Mm, this was an awesome conversation. Yep. And the response that we got from this client, it started off in the first little while working with this, this client, 
more of a hand-holding and explaining and earning trust. I would call it earning trust over time. But Dave, you had a conversation with this client recently about their experience now and what they're doing with their their retirement and their and their portfolio now. Yeah, so so when I say it's more than money, money is also an important piece of the equation. And and this was really this was a cool this was my um, New Year's Eve or New Year's gift, if you will, because this happened just after New Year's when I got back to work. Um, we're just doing a follow up call with a client, and uh, I won't share the whole details of the conversation. But essentially, he says to me this: He says, Dave, listen, I wanted to give you a call, and um, I want to just do a quick review with you. He said, been with you for, we were talking about, the, he was talking about the last decade, a little bit more than that, but he said, the last decade. He said, I've done the math, Dave. I'm going, oh, okay, what math did you do? <laughs> he says, well, in the time that I've been with you, you have delivered to me, and I'll use his numbers, it's irrelevant uh, from the cash point of view, but I won't give you the full perspective, more than a million dollars in the past 10 years for lifestyle to live on. And my principal is effectively intact. And, and, and hang on, because I said, well, I, I said, thank you for sharing that with me, and I appreciate. No, the other thing he said in, in the conversation was, I don't really, and I don't really watch what's happening in the portfolio. And I said, well, we keep you abreast of it. You're comfortable with everything that's going on. Yeah. He said, but, you know, the reason I don't is because I have trust in you. And I said, well, thank you very much. But he said, Dave, that's not blind trust. I said, he said, you've, you've earned that over that period of time. And it, it was another, it was a really touching conversation. Now, this one happened to be about, money, but it was really about delivering the income he needed, the cash flow he needed to support the lifestyle. And um, two extremely touching conversations for me that were a really important part of the kickoff to the new year, slightly different and obviously in terms of, of their focus, but it speaks to, again, community, right? The, there's a collective experience that's happening, um, and the experience can sometimes be about the money, can sometimes be about the income, can sometimes be about the family dynamic. All of them are equally important at that moment in time when they're important. It is nice to hear that someone who's gone through the income and growth buckets, the health bucket, the legacy bucket with us, and have been with us for over a decade, can actually see the, the full cycle of yep. that. That's, that's rewarding to us. That's why we set this up, to bulletproof people's retirement yep. uh, and to see that come through. What I find very interesting about uh, the, the conversations we've had this week is that people are coming to us um, not only because of the community that we've created, but they're coming to us on financial and non-financial topics. Yeah, which which tells me that you know this this practice that we have this 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 whole approach to retirement is very unique. Because when we talk to our peers in the industry, they're not coming to their advisor talking about family dynamics. They're not going to their advisor talking about their vacation issues or their or their long-term care health issues or their aging parents issues. They're just talking about money. When they're talking to us, they're having those kind of discussions because it's it's broader. The money is a means to an end. Yeah, that's right. It's not the only thing, and that's a very different uh, approach. That you know, twenty some odd years ago when I started this in in this industry. I would have never thought I'd have those types of conversations. I thought at the beginning of my career, yeah. it would be literally only about the money. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's, it's not that anymore. Well, and, and I'll share one more conversation I had um, um, because it was another, it was just a, this past week, I'm do a, a year-end review. 
and it was the inflation review. Yeah. Right. And this was the client um, we had referred to earlier concerns about inflation running high over a period of time. And I said, okay, so, you know, why do you think that? And we had that conversation and ultimately we said, I said, well, the current strategy we have using your numbers is likely to underperform inflation. I don't, because it's very, he's conservative, they're older, right? So I said, we've got to make a decision about whether or not we should adjust your strategy, your long-term strategy for this period of time that you're thinking about. And if we addressed your strategy, here's what we would have to do. And I went through a series of steps of what asset classes we need to own and what that would mean from a risk and a return perspective. Okay? And you know, the conversation was, was, was interesting in this respect. At the end of it, what he said was, ah, you know, Dave, I'm just venting right now. I'm upset. I'm looking for a new house. I can't understand why house prices are so high. I'm PO'd at having to pay the prices I have at the, at the pump and taxes are changing. Yeah. And at the end of the day, he said, you know, our strategy is right on the money. Let's stick with the strategy. And it was interesting to hear. Again, it started a conversation about money. It turned into something entirely different. Yeah, it was, it was the reaction to what he's going through in his life. And that's, that's the beauty of what we do. We know that nine times out of ten when people are calling us upset, they're not upset about what we're doing. They're upset about something else that's reflected on what, what we're doing. And mm-hmm. therefore, they're, they're venting to us, which, yeah. is, which is great to hear. Yeah. And, and this is the type of a re- a relationship we have with our clients. This is the type of business that we've built and the practice that we have. And why want to bulletproof people's retirement? And if you want to bulletproof your retirement, you need to join us for our next seminar on Tuesday, January 18th, 7 p.m., live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. All right, thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money. We appreciate that, the second of the new year. We look forward to many more this year. Join us next week here on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.